Who is the person in your life that you share everything with? Is it your spouse? Is it a friend? Which friend? And it might even be a group of friends if you have a group text that continually buzzes your phone all the time. And then my next question is, why is it that person? What makes that person so special that they're the ones that you go to? Am I, this, these questions, these more questions might help understand who you might pick. Who's the person that understands you best? Are they the ones that make you feel safe and love? regardless of what you are telling them? Are they ones that listen to you rather than just look for empty silence to speak about themselves? Who is it that if you were in a wreck would be your first call after you call the police? Who would you call if you got lost and you needed directions? Who would you text when your heart was broken? My guess is that this special person is the one that you would go to because you have a special relationship with him or her. You call them because you trust them, because they have proven they're loyal to you over and over and over. And you call them because when you call them, you know that they will listen to you. Well, as we turn to Psalm 86 this morning, this we will notice, first off, that this isn't just a normal psalm. At first glance, you might not even think this is a psalm because the heading tells us this is a prayer of David, but yet we find it in the Psalter. We find it in God's ordained hymn book for all of his people to sing together, and yet we come to Psalm 86, and we realize that it is a prayer. David is praying. And David is lamenting. We as a church might not be aware of how these psalms of lament function But the Psalms of Lament function for God's people to go to God to express their deep sorrow, their deep hurt and worry. Even to go to God to express the depression and anxiety they feel because sin is in this world. Because most of the time, we as a church generally usually come to church to sing praise and joy and gladness that we have in Christ. And these things are true and right. We are to praise and adore God for who He is. These songs should encourage us, even motivate us and our affections to follow after Jesus. Yet in our churches, sometimes we don't have spaces in our liturgy for God's people to come and mourn. 
to truly express what our heart is feeling. And it might not be apparently true with this psalm because David doesn't actually get there until the 14th verse. But as I preached a few weeks ago, when we come to the Psalter and we see that a psalm is written by a king, we must ask ourselves, who does the king represent? Because in the Psalter, the king primarily represents, can represent two different people. The king can either represent God himself. The king is given to God's people to show them how God rules and leads them justly through mercy and grace, even through meekness. Or the king can represent the people and gives something for the people of Israel to strive to as the ideal Israelite. As I preached two weeks ago in Psalm 45, the role of the king was to represent God to the people. But yet here in Psalm 86, we see King David actually represent ideal Israel. It gives them something to strive for as the people of God. David is doing this. David is taking his lament before the Lord. So should we. This is how God's covenant people should come before their covenant God. And very quickly, we see David feels alone and isolated. David is crying out in distress. He is crying out for God's help. And what we see in the psalm is a wonderful structure of how we, as God's people, can shape our prayers. And what we see is how David makes his requests to God. He does not demand them based upon his own character, which will become evident. But we should ask ourselves, how does David request God to answer his prayers? We see that David makes the request for God to answer his prayer on two truths. And unfortunately, this isn't an epistle where I could say verses 1 through 5 is this, and verses 6 through 10 is this. Because it's poetry, we have this, these ideas that are interwoven. But yet I think that we can have a basic structure of the truths in which David recalls to God on why he should answer. We see in verses 1 through 7, and then again in 11 through 13, that God, that David bases his request to God based on God's covenant relationship with himself. And then verses 8 through 10, we see David make these requests based on God's covenantal character, which God holds true only in himself. In verses 1 through 5, David comes to God in prayer because he pleads based on God's covenant faithfulness to hear him. The first, four, the first five verses have the word for. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For 
I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. For to you do I cry all the day. For you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Each of these reasons that David is requesting God to listen is based on his covenant relationship. Through the covenant, God has promised to care for the poor and needy. Even in the Levitical sacrifice system, God makes ample arrangements for the poor to come and make a sacrifice. Through the covenant, God has required exclusive covenant loyalty from David. Through the covenant, God has promised to be gracious and good, forgiving and abounding in what? Steadfast love. Now, this steadfast love of God in Hebrew is the word hesed. God's covenantal love for his people, exclusive for his people. And it represents his grace and his mercy, his eagerness to forgive them of their sins and their iniquities. This is, and this is what David bases his requests upon, God's covenant love for him. Looking at it from a different angle, in verse 2, we read, Preserve my life, for I am godly. And for anyone in the church after the Reformation, we, we kind of come to that and, and we say, Whoa, 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 whoa. No one is godly. This is what Paul says in Romans 3. No, not one is righteous. The NIV translates this as faithful to you. The King James translates this as holy. And I believe all three of these translations work. David is not saying, I'm godly because I do not sin. And he's not saying, I'm godly because I have perfectly fulfilled the law, David is saying, as he, I mean, David has said in Psalm 14, 3, I have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. And later in this, in this Psalm, verse 3, David says, For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David is not claiming godliness based on godliness and his own righteousness. David is saying he is godly man because he desires to follow after God. A godly Israelite is someone who follows Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. Listen to these verses. This is the command of the Lord. Now this is the command, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that you your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. 
that it may go well for you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. This is why all three of these translations work. For someone who is godly, for someone to be holy, is someone who has set themselves apart to follow God's covenant. A faithful Israelite is one who follows God's law and lives according to the righteousness, justice, mercy, and grace that is instilled in them in God himself. We, God's people, are godly people when we pray. This is what God has asked us to do. We are godly people when we read our Bibles. And now, it doesn't take very much for us to begin to say, well, I read my Bible, and so therefore I'm godly. Or, because I have prayed this morning, it's pretty easy to start checking the self-righteous box. I've done it. Check. But when we come to God wanting to meet with Him, wanting to hear from Him, wanting to be transformed by grace that is only found in Him, we become God's faithful and holy people. We can see this is true from this chapter. For again, in chapter 13, David realizes it is God's grace and mercy and hesed love that keeps his soul from Sheol. David makes his plea to God based on God's covenant faithfulness. And David makes his plea to God based on God's covenant character. Now David requests again that the Lord may listen to him in verse 6. And we see that he bases this upon God's character and works in verses verses 8, 9, and 10. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. David turns from his focus on the covenant relationship with God to God's attributes. Do you see how unself-involved David's prayer is? His prayer is moving away from himself. He begins his prayer basing his relationship on the covenant faithfulness of God, and then he moves away from himself looking at God's goodness in his creation and his work. David does not make these requests based upon what he has done. Everything that David requests is based upon what God has done. And next we see David finally petition God in his prayer. In verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
David asked God to unite his heart, to unite his heart to fear his name. And notice what he's asking for. He's asking to fear the name of Yahweh, which in the Old Testament is the summary of all religion. It means a reverence, an awe, not a slavish cringe that God might zap us because we do something bad. But in all, this is the God who has created everything, all the peoples of the world, and he chose us. He is loving and gracious. It's in all of this God turning his face upon his people, revealing his favor, because God came and descended and lived among them. The heart of religion is that we have this view of God and respond faithfully. And then what does David do? In verse 12, he gives thanks with his whole heart. David's response is how the entire world should respond once they properly understand who God is and what he has done. Glory and praise to his name. And in verse 11 and 12, we can see that David mentions his heart twice because the heart is the center of his being. And what is he asking for? God, please teach me your ways. I want to walk in your truth. I want my heart to be united and to fear you and fear you alone. David is asking God, curb my passions. Curb my desires with the law of God. David is confessing, I have a divided heart. As James tells us, with one mouth do we praise the Lord. And with that same mouth do we slander our fellow man. It's almost as if his heart is a multiple personality complex. But what David desires is a heart that is solely focused on the glory of the name of his covenant God. He desires a heart that is most concerned with where the psalm begins. God's gracious covenant. David wants his heart to be utterly focused on the truth that there is no other God. There is no other that will answer his prayers. There is nothing else in this world that will curb his heart's desires towards God except God himself. And in verse 13, he says again, For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. If you, God Almighty, do not form, shape, and mold, and transform my heart. If you, God Almighty, do not love me, there is only one place my heart will go, to Sheol. Now, Sheol is a proper name in the Hebrew, and sometimes it serves as a poetic name for the grave to which all go. And other times it names the dim destination to which the wicked, but not the faithful, will go. It speaks of that separation from the creator in his creation. 
David is quoting Exodus 34, 36. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David bases his prayer on God's past work, past faithfulness in his covenant with his people. And then we see how David responds to God's covenant faithfulness to him. And he requests in verse 14. We, we, we finally have gotten there. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. David is facing real hardship. David is facing suffering and death. He is facing a real issue. This isn't a metaphor for a spiritual reality. We've already talked about his soul. But now he turns to God with a real physical problem. And where does David go? To his faithful God. To the God who created all things to the God who is gracious and loving. This psalm calls us to be the kind of people who are ready and willing and able to come into the presence of the God of the universe, the God who redeemed Israel out of Egypt, the God who sent his son from his presence to earth and set before him the cross. This psalm calls us to go to God because he is faithful. We don't go to God to save face. We go to him because he should be the first one that we call upon. He's the first one that should re receive the text of our hearts because he is faithful. I counted over 30 reasons why David went to God. In this passage. Because God is faithful. Because God will answer him. Because God is gracious, abounding in steadfast love. There is no one like him. There is no one that does his works. There is no one that made the nations. There is no other name that will be glorified. He is great and does wonderful things. He teaches. He unites. He delivers. He is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He turns his face to him. He strengthens him. He saves him. He shows him signs. He puts his enemies to shame. And he helps and he comforts David. Is this how we approach God? Because of his faithfulness to us. Because if you take these 30 things that God is, it reveals 30 things about us. We are poor and needy. We need to trust in him. We need to cry out to him and he will gladden us. He will lift up our souls. He will lift us from our trouble. And maybe I'm not alone, but I really struggle to do this. Because often I've 
experience my prayers with God as an ATM machine. I go up to it, hit a couple buttons, and just expect something to come out of it. Rather than going to God, is like going to a loving father and asking him for money. He might give it and he might not, but he will base his generosity upon his will and his graciousness because he loves his children. And at the very end, David pleads for strength. He pleads for a sign, just as Gideon asked for a sign. And ultimately, God did give him a sign, an answer to his prayer. Because he sent Jesus. Jesus was God's answer to his people's cry. Jesus was God's gift of grace and mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus was the one who delivered David from the depths of his despair and agony. Because of Jesus, we know that God has set his face upon us. It is now in the name of it is now the name of Jesus that is glorified by every nation. It is the name of Jesus that every knee will bow. It is the name of Jesus that insolent men forsake. And it is Jesus who teaches us what David requested. The way to walk in truth. The way to unite our hearts to fear the name of God. It is Jesus who is the ideal Israelite, who exemplifies how we are to walk in God's truth. It is Jesus that unites our hearts to God and to one another as he did it on the cross and through his glorious resurrection. This psalm prepares us for Jesus. And the psalm also shows the fulfillment of the sign. For we have a sign from God himself in the bread and the wine. At this table, God is pointing us, reminding us of his faithfulness, reminding us of his grace. At this table, we receive the sign that we can see, taste, touch, and smell God's hessed love in Christ. At this table, we have God's answer to our eternal cry because God is slow to anger. This table points us to Jesus. And when we face physical peril, this table is a sign for us that we should come together and pray together and sing together because we forget of God's faithfulness. 
Is this your cry? Is this your plea? Do you desire Jesus every hour? If you don't, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes because you need Jesus. If you do know this is to be true, let us strengthen our faith together and come before him and let us remind one another of God's steadfast love that he has for us in Jesus. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to you 